Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Okay, Lee. Yeah. Hey, Fuad. How's How it going? You? Doing great. <laughs> great. What, what a pleasure it is to have you here in our headquarters. Uh, yeah. I, I really appreciate the visit. This is really amazing, by the way. I've, I've, uh, I've been in a couple different headquarters of different supplement companies. This is really beautiful. Thank you. And uh, it's really inspiring for me. Thank you. Coming up. So thank you. That's uh, means a lot coming from you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Glad to have you here. Yeah, so I wanted to, I was glad I was able to get down here. I want to do a live in-person podcast and discuss life and bodybuilding and life after bodybuilding and kind of take it from you since you've been in this in the game for 30 40 years yes long time i started when i was 16 and uh, i'm 62 now wow you're 62 i am okay first before we get into the past how do you keep looking this healthy and this good at 62 well you know what good genetics one uh, but two a, a healthy life Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. Lifestyle from the time that I was 16 years old. You know, I've, uh, I've, um, I've eaten the traditional bodybuilding way, which is to say five to six meals a day for, you know, over 45 years. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and I, I really do take good care of my health. I eat very, very clean. Mm-hmm. And uh, that helps me to stay lean. It helps me to stay healthy. You know, I uh, get some kind of exercise every day. Yeah. So uh, weight training is my heart. That's what I do, love. Do you, are you always eating? I, I've seen you having a few meals here and there yeah. in the last few days I've been here. And they always look like clean bodybuilding meals. Yes, yes. You never, do you ever kind of go off plan? Oh, sure. Ever... Yeah, you know, and I mean, I'll occasionally we'll have, you know, like a bowl of ice cream or, okay. you know, or if somebody's having pasta, I'll have a few bites, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. You know, but I tend to eat the good bodybuilding food first. And my wife's sure. a fantastic cook. Sure. So, you know, it's not like I'm eating dry chicken breast and, yeah. uh, and dry baked potatoes. That's right. You know, so I eat the good food first. And then uh, if, you know, uh, if, I, if I like what I see, you know, if I see you eating yeah. ice cream or something, I may have a scoop myself, that kind of thing. But moder- moderation is the key. That's the key. that's the thing. That's what I'm listening. That's what I'm hearing yeah. when you're saying that yeah. because 
you're saying I'll have a scoop. Yeah. I usually go for the whole pint. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's funny is that because I was at the grocery store the other day, and uh, you know we have we have these uh, little servings of ice cream. They're just yeah. like individual serving yeah. cups, yeah. you know. Yeah. And I had I had a bag of those things, right? Yeah. And the lady at the checkout counter, you know, a, a bit overweight, you know, sure. she says, you know, you can get the half gallon and and you'll save money. And I go, but I don't want the half gallon. I want the little one so that I don't overeat. Exactly. Yeah, but the problem is with me is if I bought a bunch of those. Yeah, I mean, you, you keep going, right? I would just sample all of them. <laughs> um, but no, I, uh, okay, so I kind of noticed that about you. I kind of expected that answer, but how? How is, are, have you ever been a food guy or, because you're a Cuban background oh, descent, yeah. right? Uh-huh. I love food. So you have a, I, I'm assuming your culture is very, is surrounded by food, celebrations, sure. it has a lot of food involved. Absolutely. And, so and, how do you... and, and my wife makes like the best black beans on the planet. She yeah. got the recipe from my mom. Okay. God bless her. Yeah. You know, uh, but yeah, I love food. So if you're a food guy, then how do you have the restraint? Because what I do is uh, I just, uh, I eat proportionately. Sure. You know, I eat slowly and then I eat until I'm full. Yeah. You know, and uh, a lot of times I'll leave like about a quarter of the food left on my plate yeah. and I'll sit there for five minutes and I'll talk to you oh. or whatever. And uh, and then if I want to finish, I do. And if not, I just push away. You know, so I, 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 I eat until I'm full, but I don't yeah. stuff myself. I think taking your time is a good one because I know it takes, I think I saw something somewhere where it said it takes your brain like 20 minutes yeah. to realize like you're full. Absolutely. That stomach lining stretches, right? Yeah. And yeah. it releases a chemical into the uh, blood sure. that then tells your brain that it's satiated. That's right. Yeah. So I think if I'm eating too fast, that's probably yes. my problem. I eat too fast right? and I don't want to keep eating. Right. I see. Okay. I'm learning already. See. <laughs> um, all right. So is there any other, I want to get into the longevity of it because I still see you down there training. Is there anything else for guys, you know, 40 plus that they could do to maintain the longevity and stay healthy and keep their joints intact? Like, are you yes. doing anything other than, I think the food is probably the primary one. Food is, food, yeah. food is, food is primary, right? Because you sure. cannot out train a bad diet, right? That's you and right. I both know that. Yeah. But assuming that your food is, you know, it's, it's nutritious, you know, uh, calorically, you know, it's, uh, it's dense with nutrients and you're not overdoing it in terms of eating uh, junk or extra calories and that kind of thing. Assuming that all of that is in place, you know, then what I tell uh, people that are over 40 is to get some form of exercise every day. Okay. You know, for me, it's weight training. It will always be weight training. I think it's yeah. the best, uh, the best form of exercise in the world in terms of body composition, in terms of long-term health, you know, uh, bone density as you get older, weight training. You know, they've done sure. studies uh, at Harvard, you know, on the bone density of, of octogenarians, you know, and with the weight training, you know, they keep their bone density and they don't have the osteoporosis and so okay. forth, you know, so uh, very, very important. But I tell them, do some kind of activity every day. If yeah. it's not weight training, at least get out there, I mean, go swimming, go running, ride your bike, whatever, but get sure. some activity every day. I, I try and ex express this to my brother because my brother's like one of these cardio guys. Right. And he doesn't lose very much weight. He's still, you know, a little bit overweight, but he just, all he wants to do is cardio. Right. And he thinks that's the key to health and longevity. Sure. And I'm like, it's part of it, yeah. but he's missing out on the entire yeah. training. Yeah, yeah you, re you, you really are. And I, and I know uh, based on seeing you and the tremendous genetics that you have that you, with a little bit of weight training, your brother would probably yeah. have a tremendous shift in his body composition, which yeah. in, in, in turn uh, increases his health. I think it's a mental thing. Why do you think it is that some people, I've noticed throughout my career of the 20 years plus, there are some people who just 
cannot get away from the cardio and they seem to insist that that's the way forward. Right. And it's more important than the training. Yeah. How you do know. you get somebody to come over to our side and, and realize that this is beneficial for them? Well, I think you have to talk them through the fact that, uh, you know, if you do the weight training, that it, it, it uh, alters your body composition. You know, yeah. unlike cardio, you know, great for your heart, yeah. okay, but you're really not building any muscle, you know, and uh, and, it, and I would dare say you're probably not keeping any muscle. Sure. You know, a lot of times you see these, uh, these ca uh, cardio instructors, aerobics instructors uh, of yeah. yesteryear, you know, that they yeah. would do 10 cardio classes a day, but they were still what I would call skinny Fatsos, their body yeah. composition was, you know, was off. Yeah, they didn't yeah. have a lot of muscle because they were burning muscle tissue off at the same time. Yeah. You know, so um, I, I think it's uh, I think it's really important to make weight training the center of your program, and mm -hmm. then use the cardio judiciously, you know, to help with the heart. Although, if you do the the weight training a certain way, you're going to get a lot of cardiovascular right. effect out of it as well. Yeah. So, in keeping with the longevity conversation, I'm curious when you started training, was your training method ever heavy or was it always high volume or what was your strategy and how has that changed into your 40s 50s 60s it was never high volume you know okay. very early on in my career you know so i'm talking like the late 70s early 80s uh mike menser was on the scene yeah. and he was a big proponent of the heavy duty system sure and uh, a lot of people will look at me and they and they and they see an aesthetic physique but I trained with a lot of these same high-intensity principles that. that Mike Metzer and some of these guys use. And, and ironically, my son, Hunter, uses the same type of training now. You know, sure. he really only has like two or three working sets yeah. on any particular body part. But when I say a working set, yeah. you know, I'm saying like heavyweight, you know, I mean, to the very last repetition plus forced uh, repetitions. Yeah. And I mean, it's just laying it all out. Yeah. So when you trained... When did you start training? I started training when I was 16. Okay. So yeah, and I started training in order to gain weight for football, but I found out that I was a better bodybuilder than a football player. What what was your what was your position in football? So I was a defensive back. Okay. Yeah. And you didn't couldn't make didn't make the team. Didn't... No, I, I got injured. I actually okay. I had had a had a soft tissue back injury, okay. which landed me in the gym. Yeah. And I started weight training, and I just never looked back. Uh, yeah. So when you started weight training, did you see the gains right away kind of thing? You notice no. that your body changed? No, not really. I did get very muscular. Sure. You know, and uh, and ripped and muscular, very conditioned. But I'm what we would traditionally call a hard gainer. Yeah. So the uh, uh, the weight did not come on fast. It never comes on fast enough, fast enough for us bodybuilders. Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, you can't never get too big too fast, right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> so you get in, you start training, you start feeling it and you what happened what made you decide that this was going to be your career so i found out about a, a local bodybuilding competition when i was in high school it was sure. the uh, teenage mr jacksonville florida teenage mr jacksonville it was the hometown contest and it was about a month away yeah and i was already pretty lean and uh, I, I remember uh, going to the gym and showing a couple of the guys, you know, what I looked like. They said, you know what, you ought to, you ought to go ahead and compete, yeah. you know, uh, and you should enter the show. Uh -huh. And uh, so I dieted for a month, uh, learned half a dozen poses um, and uh, won the show <laughs> and, uh, and won the most muscular uh, as well. And 
you know, and I, at the time I didn't understand because I showed up and everybody was 20, 30 pounds bigger than I was, yeah. but they were smoother. Sure. You know, and I didn't understand that it was about proportion, symmetry, you know, conditioning and all these other factors. And, yeah. you know, so I, I was hooked at that point. So you were how old then? I was 17. 17. Yeah. Then did not so. compete again until I was 22 at the uh, state level here in, in Texas. Why the break? Why the five year break? Because I wanted to put on, uh, I wanted to put on muscle mass and yeah. compete in the men's open category. I see. And so in those five years, I put on 40 pounds. Yeah. And uh, when I uh, started competing again in, in 1982, I started winning everything in sight again. So I noticed, you know, nowadays, I don't know how, I don't know how closely you follow the amateur level or a lot of the social media influencers or I don't know how you follow all, how much you follow these people but the common thread nowadays seems to be people can't stop competing they can't take a break they just want to compete every year a couple times a year right and I'm not saying at the pro level where you're earning money sure they're trying to get their pro card and they're not built yet for it, right? But they just can't stop competing. It's, it's Fuad. It's a mistake, okay. and I see it. I see it made over and over and over again. You know, I, to me, bodybuilding is a lifestyle and it's a life path. Sure. You know, it's something that I'm going to do for the rest of my life, mm -hmm. and and that was my mentality. You know, even even as a teenager, this is something I want to pursue for the rest of my life. You know, whether I'm competing or not. So the important thing with bodybuilding is to is to make gains and to make improvements, right? Sure. You know, it's it's really at the end of the day, it's a battle against yourself. Yes. You know, can can I be better than I was last year? You know, and so if if you're constantly competing, then how are you going to improve? Yeah. Yeah. So when you started training at 17 or before that, when you, when you did the first show, were you already doing that Mike Menser style? So um, I didn't adopt that Mike Menser style until I was about 18 years old. Okay. And then I started experimenting with it and I, I just fell in love with the methodology and the fact that it was science-based. Sure. You know, and so um, I cut the uh, volume way, way back yeah. to where I was doing, you know, perhaps uh, six to eight sets of body part. Okay. Yeah, and I followed that well into my pro career. I mean, the most uh, most sets per body part that I ever did were it was eight to ten sets for legs. It was eight to ten sets for back. Now, when you say eight to ten sets, you're not. Are you talking about like feeders and warm ups included with that, or is that just working sets? No, I would. I would. I, I would. Uh, I would have a warm up set or two, sure. and then I would immediately load the weights up and go up to my maximal training weights. Yeah. And then what I would do is I would exhaust myself on that set, on sure. that first working set, sure. and I would take off about 10% of the weight okay. with each succeeding set. Sure. I trained pretty quick. You yeah. know, I trained faster than my son trains, Hunter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's a different methodology, but obviously it's working for him because he's a heck of a lot bigger than I ever was. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but I, I trained fast. Sure. I trained very fast. I trained only long uh, uh, at a pace that was, uh, I rested only long enough to catch my breath. Mm -hmm. You know, but I think that that really helped me in terms of my muscularity as well. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of that. I don't take long rests. Right. But I do do a little bit more volume than, like, say, Hunter or yourself or right. in that, that Mike Munster style. Not that I don't agree with it because I've seen many sure. guys get really big with it. Um, but we always have a debate about, and this is, again, going back to longevity. We always have the debate, what is better for you as you get older? Is it really pounding those super heavy weights? Or is it doing a little bit lighter weights but doing more volume? And I think both schools of thought make sense because one on one end you think I'm using these super heavy weights, it's gonna it's gonna destroy my joints. Right. But on the other end, you're you're saying, well, I'm not using much lighter weights, but right. I'm doing way more volume. I would say that the answer is, as you get older, sure. you have to be more protective of your joints. Okay. So case in point, in my case, 
I train much lighter than I ever used to. Okay. And so um, I, 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 I do not train with the same intensity that I used to, you know, where, you know, I'm, I may do one or two sets to failure where I might have done four or five sets to failure sure. in the past, sure. yeah. you know, and I'm very, very careful with the warm up. Mm-hmm. You know, to make sure that I don't overload my joints. At this yeah. point, I'm done growing. You yeah. know, for me, yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> for for me, it's maintenance. Sure. You know, and I want to uh, stay muscular and athletic looking, and I want to feel good and live a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so going back to when you're 22, you get back on stage, and you start winning everything. I do. What is everything? So uh, I competed in '82. I competed in the um, in the uh, Gulf Coast Championships. And in the collegiate Mr. Texas, I won both. And I, I never forget, uh, you know, warmed up and everybody was looking at me. And I walked out on stage in the lineup and I see the judges do this. I go, <laughs> <laughs> and later find out that one of the judges turns to the other judge and says, I'm judging my competition. You know, and yeah. sure enough, I mean, the following year, I, I basically, uh, and he was a national level guy, I beat him out for the uh, Texas title. Wow. You know, I thought at first when they, when they dropped their pen and they're all pointing at me, so, I thought, I'm, I'm like looking down, did I drop my number? Is my tan messed up? What's going on? I had absolutely no idea of how good I was. Really? Yeah. So you won, sorry, how many shows after that? So I won, in 82, I won uh, three shows. In 83, I won the, uh, the, the, uh, the Texas Championships. Okay. Now, keep in mind that I won my class at the Texas Championships in 82. Yeah. I could have gone to nationals. Okay. I did not. I held okay. myself back. Why? Is it you didn't okay, feel because, ready? No, I felt that I wanted to be even better. I wanted to take an entire year to improve. Sure. So I went back and I, and I competed in and won the Mr. Texas in 83. Okay. And I still did not go to nationals. Okay. I held myself back because okay. I wanted it yet another year under my belt to improve my physique that much more. Sure. I wanted to go in there to win. And so in 84, I qualified by, uh, by competing in the Southwest USA championships yeah. that punched my ticket. I went to the nationals and I took fourth in your first time. And you in were the, the at, first in the first time you would have been what? 25 at that time. Uh, I was 24, 24, the following year I won. Yeah. Okay. And so this is something that to Hunter's credit, he listened to me yeah. because Hunter qualified for the nationals two years before he ever competed in it for the first time. Sure. You know, he won his first show. He won the branch war. And I, and I said, you know that you're qualified to go to the nationals. He goes, yes, sir. And I go, you know that if you go to the nationals, you stand a good shot of winning your class, but you may not win the overall. Do you want to just win your class or do you also want to win the overall? He goes, I want to win the overall. Yeah. Yeah. And so I said, you should hold back a year. Consider that. And he said, okay, I'll do it. He held back a year. You know, the following year he won the junior nationals, I'm sorry, the junior USA's Mm -hmm. and then followed with the, uh, with the nationals. Sure. And he won not only the super heavyweight, but the overall. Yeah. I mean, you know, and then he was ready to go in as a pro. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's an, a, that's a really great story for people to hear because it's really the opposite of what people it do nowadays. It is the opposite of what you hear. And yeah. I think people are in too big of a rush to go get their pro card. Yeah. What are you going to do with the darn pro card when you get it? You're going to go compete with guys like Fuad. Yeah. You're going to go compete with guys like Hunter. You're going to compete with some big guys. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And guess what? That's going to take you four or five years to catch up. Yeah. Wouldn't you rather compete at the amateur level, win some titles, get experience under your belt, learn how to peak, improving every year, and then finally go in, get your pro card, and just sweep the thing? 
I have a question about that though. So let me ask you, if somebody qualifies for the Nationals, I think it's a two-year qualification, is it? It's like the year they qualified plus I'm, one more year? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Okay, well, in Canada, I think they get the year they qualified plus one more year. So let's assume it's the same thing. Right. If they don't compete, do you think, does it make sense for them to keep competing at shows they've already won or levels they've already qualified from mm -hmm. if they don't have to? Mm -hmm. Like, do you think the stage presence of just doing a show, uh, even if you've already passed that level, do you think that makes sense or no? I think that you, there's always, uh, incrementally, there's other shows at that level that are yeah. more competitive, for instance. Oh, I see. Yeah, for, for me, you know, when I won the Texas championships, mm -hmm. it was a state championship, it's difficult to win. Sure. Okay. But I went and I found a regional show, the Southwest USA's or the Southern States, yeah. you know, in Florida, you know, yeah. regional shows. Once you win those, okay, because you can win what you can go to Florida and compete and win the Southern States. You can compete in the Southwest USA. I mean, you can compete in, def in different yeah. regions of the country to get, you know, to get experience. Then move up to the juniors. Why does everybody skip the juniors? Why does everybody skip the junior USA and the junior nationals? It used to be a place where you would see the likes of the guys that were going to win the nationals the next yeah. year. You know, and I, I think so much of that is missing right now at the amateur level. Yeah. And, and I think that it has actually lessened the level, the entry level of the pros. Sure. Do you think, and I, I agree with you on that, do you think it's a, because of the removed some of the layers it took to get there yes like if you look at canada yeah. they had i think they're handing out too too many yeah. uh too many uh uh, yeah. uh national qualifiers yeah because yeah. If, if like canada for example had a municipal then a regional then a provincial and you had to qualify at all three of those levels before you got to the national right. level that's the way it should be yeah now they've changed it to they took one of the levels out right so now it's two and then you qualify for the nationals right and I feel like it's watered down. It, it, and, 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 it, and it's obvious in the, uh, the quality of the physiques. Yeah. You know, when you look back at the uh, national championships, I mean, my gosh, back in, uh, back in 84, the 84 nationals, you had Mike Christian yeah. winning the heavyweights, you know, Rich Gaspari winning the, winning the light heavyweights, and John Nanishak winning the middleweights. All those guys went out to compete in the Olympia within, yeah, a, year, famers, within yeah. a year or two. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, you know, Ian Valier, I don't, I don't know if you know, you know Ian, I'm sure. Ian, huh? Um, Great guy, by the way. Yeah, he is. And he, his thought process on it is it doesn't matter because the cream rises to the top. So even if every single person out there has a pro card, it's irrelevant because the good pros are still going to rise to the very top. I think that the good pros are going to rise to the top. You know, however, does it, does it really help? the uh, entry level pros that they got their pro card prematurely, yeah. you know, by three or four years, yeah. you know, they're, they're going to, they're going to, uh, they're not going to be as satisfied with the experience. You know, everybody wants their pro card, you know, because of the bragging rights. Hey, I'm a pro. Yeah. Okay, great. You're a pro. Okay. But how competitive are you going to be as a pro? Sure. So if we're looking at it from a satellite view, is it hinder the sport? to have these people excel through too quickly? Um, it, I think that it's a double-edged sword. It could, in some cases, hinder, because what happens is if they become a pro too fast and they don't get success and they get discouraged and unmotivated, they drop out. I could see okay, that. Okay, you know, but um, at the same time, you know, if they, if, uh, the flip side would be somebody gets their pro card and says, okay, I got my pro card. I realize now that I've got, 
I've got three to four years in the woodshed putting in a lot of work, yeah. you know, before I'm going to be competitive at this level. Sure, sure. Um, I want to go back to a couple comments you made about Hunter. What is that like for you? Because one of the things, a question I've always been asked, and actually some of the guys on the podcast get asked too, is would you want your son to be a bodybuilder if you had a son? Like for me, I'm, I don't have kids. So I always, I'm always playing with that idea in my mind because sure. I don't know what it would be like. So sure. you have a son who's a Olympian. How did that feel for you from the start? At the start, it was uh, uh, one of those things where we wanted our boys, Hunter has two brothers, sure. so we always required them to play a sport, but we never pushed them in the direction of one sport or another. Okay, And so bodybuilding was never front and center at, at our home while they were growing up. Sure. You know, we had, a, we had a gym in the garage. You know, and they had a gym at the school that they used, you know, with the strength and conditioning coach to train for their sports. Mm -hmm. But it wasn't really until Hunter was about 17 that he got bitten by the bodybuilding bug. And it, and it was uh, when uh, when he was 18 and he was uh, recruited uh, to play college football. He was a very good, a very good defensive back. And um, he had a chance to play. But he told me that, that my heart is not in this. You really? know, I, I don't want to play football. I want to be a professional bodybuilder, you know, wow. and to do that. OK, if I get hurt, I'm not going to be able to be a professional bodybuilder. I go, OK. You know, and I'm be honest with you, Fuad, you know, at that time, you know, he was probably five, uh, eight and 210 pounds. Yeah. You know, and I didn't see him becoming a, a professional bodybuilder because I just didn't think that he had it in him to yeah. get that big. Put on the mass. Yeah. You know, every time that uh, every time that I th uh, think that that boy can't get any bigger, he gets bigger. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it, it was a surprise. But coming back to your question more pointedly, you know, I didn't push him. Or, or his brothers to uh, go into bodybuilding. True. I just wanted them to play a sport because I think sports build character for kids. Definitely. They, yeah. And, you know, it builds respect for their life, develops lifelong exercise habits and things like that, you know. So we pushed for that, you know. But um, um, I'm very proud of him. You know, yeah. I, I, I feel like uh, like the second bite of the apple. Sure. Yeah. But there was – so was, there was never – so if I was a father and my son said, I don't want to play football, and he had – maybe potential to play NFL football. I want to be a pro bodybuilder. I think I would have definitely pushed him in the direction right, to play the football. NFL. Right. Well, I think he was going to play college ball. I don't think yeah. that he was going to play in the NFL. No, no, I know. Yeah. But did he have the yeah. potential to maybe? He had the potential to do well yeah. in college. Okay. In, at the college level. He was not going to be a player in the NFL. I see. Okay. Yeah. And, um, and uh, we, we've always pushed academics, you know, over uh, athletics, you know, especially when a uh, playing football requires 20 or 30 hours a week, yeah. you know, in addition to your, your studies, you know, sure. to your academics, you know, so for us, academics was always the most important thing, yeah. you know, so, uh, I wasn't too worried about him getting out of the, uh, the football program, you know, uh, you know, because I knew it would free him up to study more, sure. you know, but I, at that point, if I'm perfectly honest, I had no inkling that he would be as, as good a bodybuilder as he is. So you kind of just went with it thinking he'll do a couple shows. I, and... I went, I went with it and yeah. he just started putting on size and started changing very, very fast, yeah. you know, and then started asking me about competing in the shows, you know, um, and, uh, you know, lo and behold, uh, he, he uh, entered in and won the uh, the Branch War in his first show. Yeah. In fact, he's won every bodybuilding show that he's competed in, except for the Olympia. Yeah. Wow. So I have to ask you a more pointed question as a father. 
does the health aspects that come with bodybuilding, is that something that gave you pause or were you like more on the side of as long as we monitor and as long as we... Of, of course it gives yeah. you pause, okay? Sure. Because, you know, it's like running, uh, it's like running the engine in a car at second gear at 60 miles an hour, right? <laughs> yeah. You don't want parts to start breaking, yeah. Yeah, of course. you know, so it's, it's, it's hard on the system, you know, mm. um, you know, and, and so I'm, I'm familiar with that, you know, but um, there are things that can be done to mitigate health-wise, sure. you know, and to his credit, he has, you know, and he monitors, you know, and uh, and he, um, you know, he has a regimen that is very conservative by the standards today. Sure. You sure. know, so that gives me more peace of mind. Yeah. You know, uh, but you know, I, I told him the same the same thing that I told my wife. You know, there's life after bodybuilding, and so anything that you do now, understand what the long term consequences are. You want to make sure that you're mitigating those things so that your body is not a wreck. Yeah. You know, the day that you choose to retire. Is this something you instilled in him? Because, you know, we were talking earlier and I feel like Hunter's lucky that he has, you know, somebody that's lived it before him. I, I, I want to think that, um, that by setting an example yeah. and uh, also by uh, talking him through that, he's a very intelligent guy, yeah. you know, and uh, you, know the, you know how uh, the relationships are sometimes between, between fathers and sons. You know, sons don't always want to hear what their father says, yeah, yeah. you know, but a lot of times if, you know, once they get into their quiet moments and they start, they start going in through their head and start thinking, okay, what, what the old man said, does that make any sense? You know, uh, and yeah. I, th I think that the uh, the health aspect has definitely percolated in. Mm. You know, uh, he he um, he is one of these bodybuilders that is going to retire. You know, at at a uh, a relatively young age. Sure. You know, once uh, once he's won the Mr. Olympia. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he said something to me about that the other day. Um, I want to ask how you started. Are you first generation immigrant? Second generation. I am first generation immigrant, so I came to the United States when I was two years old with my grandmother. Okay. And then uh, we were reunited with my mom and dad about six months later. The government didn't allow all of us out at the same time. Sure. You know, it was just kind of part of that psychological thing, you yeah. know, to make it more difficult than it has to be. Sure. You know, and um, uh, we reunited and we just, uh, we started a life in, uh, in Chicago, Illinois. Okay. You know, within two weeks, my dad had a job as an engineer and we just started building our life here in the United wow. States. Yeah. So your dad came, would, got his engineering credentials in Cuba. Right. He was the first yeah. college educated man in our family. Wow. Yeah. And he was actually a class valedictorian as well. Wow. Very, very smart man. Yeah. I followed in his footsteps. You know how they say that, uh, uh, that sons of bakers become bakers? Yeah. Uh, sons of engineers become engineers. Okay. So I became an engineer myself. I didn't know that. Yeah. Later, it, uh, my degrees in civil engineering. Okay. You know, uh, you know but he was a, a great civil engineer. And uh, sure. yeah. What was it like growing up in Chicago, Illinois? And how long did you live? Did you live there your whole life? Or did no, you I was there. I was there till I was ten years old, and then we uh, moved to Florida. Okay, you know, and it's and it's it's a good thing that we moved to Florida because that's where I got exposed to bodybuilding in in uh, in high school, mm -hmm. and uh, got exposed to the uh, the small but thriving bodybuilding community in Jacksonville, which sure. really gave me a leg up. You know. Yeah. So, did you live the rest of your young adult life in Florida? So uh, I was in Florida until uh, till I was nineteen. Yeah. And then we moved to Houston, Texas. Okay. And I've been here since uh, since we were uh, since I was 20 years old. So I've been here for 42 years now. Wow. Okay. So 
What were the parents like? Your dad obviously was very smart. He was very well educated. Very, very was smart, he, well educated, very driven. Was he very strict? Was, uh, he very, was a strict parent, uh, strict right. father. Yes, really, yeah. strict father. Uh, you know, but one thing that we could always count on, we knew that he always had our back. Okay. You know, and um, you know, very loving. You know, very strict, uh, traditional uh, Latin father. You know, so, my, my mom was uh, my mom was just an angel. So your dad was strict. Your mom was a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. How many siblings? So uh, f- uh, four of us total. Mm-hmm. Okay, my uh, have a brother. Jean and two sisters, Conchita and Lourdes. And they're also involved in bodybuilding. They, they are. In fact, um, in fact, uh, all three of them, this is something that not everybody knows, but it's a fun fact. Mm. All three of them are bodybuilding champions in their own right. Mm. You know, both of my sisters were uh, a Miss Texas. Yeah. And in fact, the youngest one actually won Miss Texas with only six months of training and took fourth in the USA that same year. Okay. And then uh, the other sister won Miss Texas, and my brother uh, recently won the over 50 at the Branch Warren, mm-hmm. and Anna Lark entered the Open on the same night and okay. won that also. Okay. So did, why, did they, why did your brother wait so long to start? And to the sisters, why didn't they keep going? Everybody. So, so you know, I, I think those are I think those are personal reasons. The sisters uh, decided to have kids. My okay. brother started a family and a and a business, and uh, you know, so you know, it, life catches up with you. So it was more for fun for them, yes, than it was for career, right? So, what was it like growing up in the Librata home? So we had we had uh, um, a lot of a lot of fun, a lot of energy, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of love, and. Um, you know, and it was a very uh, nurturing and encouraging environment. You know, okay. we were always, we were always encouraged to uh, exceed academically. Mm-hmm. You know, and and we all celebrated each other's successes. You know, and uh, and you know whatever whatever the endeavor was. Did your parents want you to go in any certain type type of direction? Because like when I think back to my parents coming up, they really didn't. My dad didn't care, even though he was a very strict man. He didn't care what I did. He was just like, I want you to make sure you do it 100%. Were your parents pushing you in any direction? Not, not in any particular direction. They wanted me to go to college. Okay. And, um, and they, they wanted me to study, you know, of course, whatever it is that, that, I, that I chose. Mm-hmm. And as I mentioned before, you know, uh, sons of bakers become bakers. You know, yeah. sons of engineers become engineers. That's yeah. what I decided to do because I needed to pick a direction, which I think is important for a young person. Sure. You know, pick a direction and go. You know, a lot of times, you know, at 18, what are you going to do? Well, you're going to figure out what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think it's an overwhelming question, and it's an unfair question to ask an 18-year-old. Yeah. I think the more important thing is, hey, what do you want to do in the next three or four years? Yeah. You know, and so pick a direction and go because a lot of times, you know, careers change over, over a lifetime. Sure. Do you know, you I've, think, I've been several different things myself. Do you think people spend too much time trying to find their passion? And not enough time trying to pick something that they can work towards. I think that it's important to pick something that you can work towards. I think it's something that you can uh, that you that you, you pick something also that you can make a living at, right? Sure. Okay, because my my passion, you know, may be uh, English literature, you know, but unless I am a successful writer or I become a successful yeah. college teacher or or a su- successful high school teacher, I'm not going to make a living from it, right? Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so you have to pick something you can make a living from. I think that that's really important. You know, if it if it's one of those things that you can be passionate about, also, then that's fantastic. Yeah. But there's plenty of people that work jobs that they enjoy, but maybe it's not quite their passion. Sure. You know, but their passion lies in some of the things that they do in their recreational time. Yeah. No, I just I, I find that to be a common misconception that yeah. you shouldn't work 
hard at something unless it's your passion. And I need well, to find my passion. I, I think that it's important to work hard at whatever it is that you're doing. You yeah. know, in fact, you alluded to it, you know, before that your father, you know, uh, basically, you know, uh, said that he didn't so much care which direction you went in as long as you gave it 100%. Yeah. Well, what does that say? That says that that whatever it is that you do, you should do your very best at it, right? Mm -hmm. That's the de by definition giving sure. it 100%. Yeah. I used to tell my boys when they were growing up, I used to tell my boys, when you you know when you grow up, be a champion. Be a champion at everything you do. And yeah. some people might look at me and say, "Well, Lee, that's a pretty harsh thing to say." Yeah. I didn't say be a bodybuilding champion. I said be a champion. So what's a champion, Dad? A champion is someone who tries their best, who does 100% at whatever it is that they're doing. Yeah. So whatever it is that you do, just do 100%. Sure. You know, yeah. and then and and then and then if if it's not something that you enjoy doing for the rest of your life, pick a different direction. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we were talking earlier off camera about my social anxiety and, and dealing with it coming up and all that. Did you have anything like that or were you pretty well adjusted, pretty normal growing was, up? You know, I, I was a shy kid. Yeah. Yeah, I was a shy kid and um, you know, and I and I think that um, that bodybuilding helped me out of that. I was still shy when I was you know when I was competing and initially and, and whatnot, and I think that it helped me out of that. You know, but um, you realize that over a period of time, you know, to be comfortable in your own skin. Yes. You know, and, and uh, you know, and that your self worth, you know, is, uh, is is intrinsic. It's something that God puts in each one of us. Sure. You sure. know. You said being comfortable in your own skin. And that's something I always tell people. So it's more about accepting who you are. Mm -hmm. But how does somebody go about doing that? So for, you know, when you like, sorry, but for yeah. for example, like when I was thirty five years old, I realized you kind of just grow into your skin. Like eventually, I was like, this is just who I am. Yeah. Right. How does somebody who's twenty do that, or learn that, or work towards that? You know, it, I think it comes from uh, realizing that you are who you say you are. In other words, if, if you pick a direction and you strive to build yourself in that direction, and we're talking about, we're not talking about bodybuilding here, we're just talking about, you know, personal development. Sure. You know, you can become, you know, pretty much whatever it is that you conceive, if you can believe it and you can work towards that systematically and yeah. you and you create habits that help you towards that that goal or that that self-image, you can you can you can get there. Yeah. You know, um, and you have to understand also that, you know, a lot of times the um, the um, sensibilities that we have about what others think about us. Yeah. Okay. You know, a lot of times dictate our actions. Unfortunately, for better or for worse. Sure. You know, because um, you know, a lot of people seek their self worth in the opinions of others. Yeah. You know, and what we have to realize is that. You know, um, a lot of times when you walk into a room, you you think that everybody's looking at you. You know, you, yeah. it's like. Yeah. yeah. You know, they look at you, they check you out, and then they don't back, care. Yeah. They don't care. They're back to their own thing. You know, and, and but yeah. it's funny because every person is thinking the same thing. That's right. That's you right. know, and uh, and you realize after a while, it's just you know what, just chill. Yeah. You know, just be yourself. So you said you're shy coming up. Yeah. How I had I had a DM from a fan recently. You said I'm a really anxious person and I want to do my first show, but I'm terrified to go on stage. Yes. What can you say to help me? And I I really tried to instill as much as I could, but in your opinion, if you're a shy kid mm -hmm. and, if, you, and you're going to go on stage and for you the want first to get time, on stage for the first time, what are some things that you could maybe I'm, give? I'm, I'm going to tell you, here's what you do. You clench your fists. Okay. <laughs> what does that mean? So let me tell you what that means. Yeah. The very first time that I competed, 
Okay, I was so nervous, Fuad. I was mm. so nervous that my hands were shaking. Yeah. And I literally closed my hands, clenched my fists, so the judges could not see my hands shaking. Yeah, wow. Because that's how nervous I was, okay? Everybody starts somewhere. Yeah. You are, listen, the fact that you got up there for the first time, yeah. you know, and next to, wearing next to nothing, you know, and literally putting yourself out there, yeah. you know, to compete, that says a lot about you. You know, it says, you know what, I'm confident enough, I'm, I'm gonna try. And if sure. you don't try, you never succeed, right? Sure. You know, sure. so, and it gets easier with each time. Yeah, my advice to that uh, person was, Make sure you've checked every box and make sure you have done all of your prep properly. Because right. I, feel, I always feel like the more prepared you are, the more confident, the you, can more be. confident you can be. That's right. It will minimize the nervousness. It will, it will minimize the nervousness. And you have yeah. to understand that the only thing that you have within your control is what is within your control. Yeah. I'm just stating an obvious axiom, okay? You know, and and uh, there are things that are beyond our control. What's in your control is getting into great shape. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Getting that that last little bit of fat off, coming in great conditioning. You know, picking your suit not correctly, having a good tan. Yeah. You know, and you know, standing up there smiling and putting on a good posing routine. That's all within your control. Mm -hmm. What's outside of your control is how the judges are going to place you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so you can't be worried about that. You sure. just have to be worried about being the best you you can be. Yeah. So, twenty five years old, you turn pro. You do the Night of Champions and you get to the Olympia. You do the Olympia seven times. Uh -huh. So I was 26 at 26, the Night of Champions. 26 at the Night of Champions. You did the Olympia seven times. What was it like the first time you saw Lee Haney in person at the Olympia and you had to compete against this guy? Well, it, you know, I really didn't know how the chips were going to fall. Yeah. You know, Lee Haney was a very big guy for his yeah. for that time yeah he was the biggest guy and he was built very symmetrically and you know and well balanced and uh and i i didn't think i was going to beat lee haney the first time out yeah. but the, the biggest surprise i got that night when i was called out for the top three you yeah. know in that yeah. first call out yeah. you know i said wow so when they did the first call out how many people were in that first call out? just three so it, I, it would have been uh, i want to say i want to say it was myself rich gaspari and lee haney yeah possibly mike christian okay so four yeah. of you yeah and how many guys were competing at that olympia you know 10 I, to 15? I, I i would i would just uh I, my memory's a little rusty yeah, on approximately that. was yeah. it like 15 yeah 20? yeah 12, 12 to 15 maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so you right away first olympia you're up there I'm up there, and um, and and uh, I'll tell you that it was um, it was like stepping onto hallowed ground. Really? Yeah. When when I was called out to, you know, I stepped on that Olympia stage. You know, and back then they didn't have digital cameras. Yeah. The, it was all the emulsion film yeah, yeah. camera, yeah. right? And so the the flash, flash bulb, bulbs. the flashes are going off. And I mean, it was like a strobe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm going, my God, there's got to be there's got to be four thousand people in here. Yeah, it was. It was yeah. packed. It was four thousand people, you know. And it's just like it was. It was uh, a, a little daunting at first, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know. And then you know, you, your your nerves calm down, and and then you you go through it because you realize that really it's no different than the first competition you entered. It's just at a much, much higher level. Sure. You know, but sure. it's, it still has the same basics. You're getting compared, yeah. you know, and so forth. So on. there's just a lot more eyeballs on you yeah. and the stakes are much higher. Yeah. So when you get into that mode and you're there, were you ever, did you ever feel like you didn't get a placing you deserved or did you ever feel like you should have beaten somebody that beaten you or were you pretty 
happy with you know how what? Your I, I think for the most part, I am happy with the way things turned out. You yeah. know, because I have to think, I have to realize and recognize that you know the. Um, the placings that I got, second, third, and fourth at the Olympia, yeah. they could have been much lower placings. Sure, you know, had the judges not seen me, you know, as you know being worthy of that top four or five. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I feel very grateful, yeah. you know, for my my placings. Now, um, on any given year, were there years that I thought I should have won? Sure. Really? Yeah. You know, what, but what year? Can you give me one I, year? I, I felt that I could have won in 1990. Mm-hmm. You know, again, coming out of the prejudging, leading by three points and, sure. and whatnot. But again, it was close enough that you know the reigning champion. Uh, you, know, yeah. you, you don't you don't get them you don't get them by a few points. You got to knock them out, right? That's right. That's right. You know, as they say. So, yeah. um, it, all in all, um, you know, it, it's worked out very very well. Um, so you were approximately 190 on stage, maybe less, mm-hmm. right? And Lee Haney was about 240, maybe 230. I want to say Lee Haney at his at his heaviest was about 250, 255. 250, 255. Yeah, so okay. but I'm going to say probably yeah, 240, 245, yeah. 245 is probably a, a realistic number. So the way I look at it is this: so he, if he outweighs you by 60 pounds, and you're still second place to him. How do you feel the sport has gone and has it gone in the wrong direction? Because I don't know. Could you see that happening now? Would you ever see a 190-pound guy next to Hunter and compete and compare and, and potentially win? Whereas, not, not unless his name's Lee Labrada. <laughs> this is what I'm, this is what, this is, I'm just kidding. No, no, I know, but it's I'm 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 just having a little fun. Yeah, of course, you know. No, I don't see uh, I don't see a 190-pound guy yeah. winning the Olympia today. But you know, in all honesty, though, was it that you were so well put together that it didn't matter, or was it a time in bodybuilding when there was more flexibility in the judging and there was more? I think I th- I think it was a time in bodybuilding. I think I was I was very I've well put together, and sure. I mean I have to give uh, God credit for that. Sure, that's my God given genetics, you know. Um, and and of course I had to work with that, you know, because it's like, you know, being given the clay yeah. and then you have to work it into a sculpture, right? Of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but, um, that being said, you know, I, I, I feel that at that time, okay, they were looking at more at what we consider today classic physique, Sure. you know, and so the, the, uh, classic flowing lines and a balance, more of a balance okay. of the other factors that make a great bodybuilder, symmetry, you know, uh, definition, yeah. proportion, muscle separation, sure. you know, and all of those factors. Yeah. Whereas at certain points, you know, in recent mo- modern bodybuilding history, I have felt that it's been m- more aptly called mass building than bodybuilding. Yeah, I can see okay. That. Let me let me just clearly state, okay, that mass is part of our sport. You have to have a certain amount of muscle size, of course, you know, to be Mr. Olympia, but not to the exclusion of everything else, mm-hmm. okay? Because you know you can have a two hundred and seventy pound blob, yeah, okay, that just you know just I mean muscular from head to toe, but basically it looks like they were put together from different parts, yeah. And to me, that's not a Mr. Olympia, sure. You know, they have to have they have to have bone structure, they've got to have proportion, symmetry, all the things that we talked about. Yeah, yeah. Balance. Sure. So do you think they're coming back around to that? Because you know, if I look at my era, for example, the early two thousands, mid two thousands, 
it was definitely more mass. I mean, when Phil came around, it started to change. But with Ronnie and Jay, it was all mass, all out mass pretty much in that era. So do you feel like now they're starting to come back around a little bit or are they still leaning too heavily on the mass? You know, I think that it's, uh, I think that this is going to be a telltale year. Yeah. I think that, you know, we're kind of at a, um, at a crossroads, mm-hmm. you know, um, and um, it, it, I think that the, what the judges decide this year could determine the, the direction. You know, whether we go back to the times where it was just basically size and nothing else, mass building, as I call it, you know, or whether we have a next generation era, you know, where there's balance in, in um, in the criteria that they're looking at. If I look back, though, it seems to be that it's always been mass building, if you think about it, because Lee Haney was the biggest of his time. He was a big guy. Arnold was... Arguably the biggest of his time. Uh, but Lou Frigno was a big guy too. Lou Frigno was a big yeah. guy. But I mean, he wasn't, Arnold was definitely one of the bigger guys. Sure. Sergio was probably the biggest guy in his era. Right. But let me let me tell you, uh, those guys, if you looked at them for their time, sure. still were put together in an aesthetically oh, pleasing course. fashion. Yeah. Yes. Okay? Yes. You know, they, they weren't rewarding fire plugs. Sure. Yeah. I, I'll give you that. Yeah. But... And I'm, I just, I like having the discussion with you. have sure, been around for sure. so long, and I, I like talking to other bodybuilders who've been around forever. Um, when you think of Dorian in 92, since you competed against them uh-huh. there, right? When you looked at Dorian's physique in 92, did it look aesthetic to you? Like, did it look proportionately put together well? I think he had good proportions. Yeah. Yeah, I think he had good proportions. Uh, but I think that, um, that his physique was uh, dominated by his back and his legs. Yes. Okay. Yes, I could agree. You with know, that. and yeah. uh, and so I, you know, um, I prefer physiques that are more balanced in the development. So it's funny. We just had uh, I just had Urs Kalchinski on the podcast. I'm not sure if you know Urs from the Classic Division. Yes, Urs made a statement about how the Classic Division is strictly about balance. Like everything has to be very, very balanced. Whereas in open bodybuilding, having a standout body part may actually help you more. Whereas in classic, they look more for the balanced physique. So it almost feels like the classic division is more what you think of when you think of 80s bodybuilding. There's no doubt about it. And yeah. it, it really, it was really um, uh, rammed home for me just this past weekend. I pulled down uh, so, uh, some, some old uh, folders that I had mm-hmm. with pictures yeah. of me on stage in the late 80s, yeah. you know, with the likes of Rich Aspari and Barry DeMay and, and, yeah. and Mike Christian and, and Lee Haney. And I looked at, at the pictures and th- the biggest surprise for me was that I was shocked because in my mind, we were a lot bigger than the pictures I was looking at. Yeah. Yeah. And when I looked at the pictures, I go, we look like classic classic guys. guys. (laughs) Well, 190 pounds. You've been a classic guy. And and rich, rich Gaspari was considered a pretty stout guy at five foot eight, 215 pounds. Yeah. You got Hunter now. That's five nine and two hundred sixty five pounds. Yeah. In, in in contest shape. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so the the standard has 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 changed. You know, they they're just a lot bigger nowadays. Is that just the evolution of bodybuilding, though, or do you think? I mean, in in concert with the health of the guys, I've had this conversation before on my podcast before too, where I've said maybe this could be some kind of thing where bodybuilding puts a limit to these guys, so they're not getting to right. five eight three hundred pounds, five eight three hundred fifty pounds down the road, right? And if, if people 
you know, people scoff at that because they're like, well, you can't put limits on them. But at the same time, people always seem to appreciate the aesthetic, symmetrical, nice, right. flowing lines. Right. And I feel like you can't have both as long as you're promoting. Well, if, if, if the open by definition, you know, uh, basically means no, no limits, no stops, right? Yeah. Now, if, yeah. if you put limits or stops on it, you know, then you're going to do the same thing that you did with, um, you know, with the classic. Sure. You know, which is to say for this height, you can have this much weight. Mm -hmm. My prognostication is that eventually classic bodybuilding is going to overshadow the open. I could see that. Yeah, I I believe it is already happening at Mm -hmm. the amateur level. Sure. You know, and I see it eventually happening, although, although, you know, I, I use this example. Classic bodybuilding is like going to the Formula One races. Yes. Okay. Open bodybuilding, men's mm-hmm. open bodybuilding is like watching top fuel dragsters. <laughs> I was just going to say that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So they're two different yeah. classes. Yeah. And yeah. They're, they're, they both have high entertainment value. Sure. You know, and they listen. And, and let me just state, you know, uh, uh, for, for the record that I, I respect all of these guys. Of course. All of the new guys. I mean, you know, and, and all of the old times. I respect all of them because of the amount of work mm-hmm. that goes into developing that physique. It's just different levels, different levels of the development, right? Yeah. And you're asking me, you know, what my thoughts are, sure. you know, on the direction that it's going and, you know, uh, you know, uh, the balance and, and, and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was your proudest moment in your bodybuilding career before retiring, like in an actual co- competition? You know, I think I have to say the moment that I, we talked about earlier, which was, uh, in 92 when I won the pro world cup in Spain sure. and I had uh, my son Hunter on stage with me, I had my mom, my dad, my wife there. And, and the crowd was just, was just going crazy. It was like a homecoming. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. I would say that that, uh, that has to be one of the proudest moments, uh, uh for me as a, as a bodybuilder. So your first Olympia would have been 85. My first, uh, Mr. Olympia was 87, 87, right. Are you making money at that time? How do our bodybuilders make so, money in the eighties? So 80s? We, we actually were. Okay. We actually were, and and, and listen, and I, in fairness, I speak from the position of a top five guy. Yeah, of course. Yeah. In in the in the eighties, okay, because you know not it, you know a lot a lot of the other ones it falls off very rapidly, and a lot yeah. of them are just you know basically personal trainers doing the things that they that they have to do, and nothing wrong with personal training. I think it's great. I've done it myself, mm-hmm. you know, but. Um, um, we, we were making monies, uh, uh, money from seminars. Yep. We were making money from exhibitions. Bodybuilding was very novel at the time in Europe, and there were a lot of small gyms in Europe that were owned by bodybuilders because bodybuilders were the trailblazers in the gym business sure. in Europe before the giants came along and started building the bigger spas and yeah. whatnot, the clubs that you see nowadays. Sure. So a lot of these gym owners would have guys like me out to their gym to do a seminar and an exhibition and stuff on a weekend. And, you know, and so we would tour through, uh, we would tour throughout all, all of Europe, you yeah. know, and do, do uh, dozens of seminars and exhibitions in, in a couple of months. Are you doing that with the other guys or is this like, no, this was something that I set up myself. You're on your own. Yes. Did you set this up yourself or did you have like an agent? Or- oh, I, I had a very good friend of mine that I worked with in Germany by the name of Werner Fitzenmeyer. Okay. Yeah. Who, uh, who uh, now owns about, uh, gosh, I've lost count. It's gotta be over 50 Mm. of these giant lifetime fitness type clubs that are like a hundred thousand square feet. He's done very well at the time. He had a couple of smaller bodybuilding gyms and we're still friends to this day. Sure. So you're over there, you're making money doing that. Are you making money with sponsorships? 
Is the prize money, what was the prize money like? like so the prize money, I, I, if memory serves me right, I think uh, that prize money was about 100000 back then. So I think if you won first place, it was $70,000 okay. or $80,000. At the Olympia. At the Olympia, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that. I could be wrong. I'm, I'm doing sure. this from memory. you got to understand this is over <laughs> 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. You know, so if, if I mess those numbers yeah. up, guys, forgive no, me. No, it's okay. You know, um, but... Um, we were making money from contest earnings, not a lot, you know, yeah. but we were making a lot of money from uh, seminars. Were there supp- were from, there supplement contracts? Sure, there were, but okay. not not like there were in you know like like I would say like ten years after that, like in the nineties is when they kind of had their their zenith. Yeah, you know where you know you had the muscle techs and such that were paying the top guys, you yeah. know, some really big dollars north of two hundred, three hundred thousand dollars, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, you know, um, you know, so there were modest supplement contracts and and things to do like that. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have what was your first supplement contract? So my first supplement contract was with Weeder Health okay. and Fitness. Okay, uh, and then after that, I, I was one of the first three at at Metrics. Okay. And I did that with uh, I did that with uh, Bill Phillips, uh, Scott Connolly, and Jeff Everson. Okay, you know I was one of the first in in uh, in that company, and I helped to grow it. Sure. And um, you know, and then um, and then later on, I went on to launch my own thing. So where yeah, so where does Labrada fit into this, and how do you? Did you make enough money from bodybuilding to start Labrada, or how did so? How did you start Labrada? That's a very good question. So yeah. I actually had saved up enough money from you know uh, basically ten years of uh, of saving you know yeah. during my bodybuilding year stuff uh, for seed money yeah. that I used to launch Labrada Nutrition. Okay. <laughs> so when you launched Labrada Nutrition, so I know the market's really saturated right now, and I know a lot of guys like I can think of two companies. I won't name them, but I can think of a couple. Actually, myself, I started hostile in my basement. Right. I just started with clothing. I didn't start with supplements. We started with clothing first, and then we grew it into the full brand. Um, and I know a couple other brands that started very, very, very small and have slowly just increased their size to right. where they're doing well now. Right. So when Labrada launched, were you a basement? Were you a garage? Were you a warehouse right away? Where we, were you? We were, we were in a 2,000-square-foot office warehouse space. Okay. So it was myself, my wife. And then it was my dad and another employee in in the uh, warehouse actually yeah. filling the boxes yeah, of that. Lean Body with the sachet packets. That's great. Okay, we could not afford a forklift, <laughs> so I had this beat up, I yeah. had this beat up dolly that I'd bought for like fifty dollars, and that's what we were hauling pallets around. And wow. you know, when a truck would pull up. W- we would have a delivery from a truck like once every three months. Yeah. And our neighbors, all of the adjacent retailers would just be livid Why? because the truck would back up and block everybody's driveway. <laughs> we would put on our tennis shoes and we yeah. would literally like be throwing boxes Hand off the, vomit, the yeah. back of a semi yeah. into the warehouse. Yeah. But that's the only way that we could do it. We didn't have forklifts, bays. You know, loading bays, docks, anything. We yeah. essentially just shoestring the whole thing. That's such a great story compared to, like, this is what I think people miss, right? When you see, like, the, the building I'm sitting in, it's equivalent to bodybuilding, right? When they see the Mr. Olympia competitor. Sure. They think, oh, man, I want to look like that. And then they get discouraged because it takes 10 years. It, it, yeah, it takes, it takes a lot and, of work. Uh, you know, I think it's the same thing as when people see this building. Like, even myself, when I see this building, I'm like, man, when... When will I get to be in a building like this? Right. right. You, you don't see the story you just told about. Sure. 
not well, having a forklift I'm, or not I'm, having... I am a testament to you know being stubborn and single-minded and goal-oriented, which I think a lot of bodybuilders are, yeah, right? Yeah, it teaches us that, doesn't it? Bodybuilding sure. kind of teaches yeah. us to, to be uh, uh, focused and work really hard towards a goal yeah. and to do the same things every day repetitively. And that, that, that's what it takes. You know, it's uh, blocking and tackling, as they call it, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, now that doesn't mean that you go in there and you, and you work, uh, you know, indiscriminately, you know, and keep making the same mistakes over and over again because, you know, hey, digging ditches is hard work, but that's not going to make you rich, right? That's right, yeah. You know, but as long as you're learning, you know, along the way, and listen, I've made every mistake in the book. Yeah. You yeah. know, I, I think I got the equivalent of my MBA from screw you, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, anyway uh, uh, you know, it, it's it's been a lot of work and it's been daunting along the yeah. way. Uh, we've, we've almost faced bankruptcy a couple times. Wow. You know, and, uh, you know, but we managed to, to push through and it, it always came down to uh, working hard to please the customer. Sure. And to have a relationship with the athletes we serve. Sure, sure. It's it's funny because people always see success as a linear path, and it and it's not. Yeah, there's a lot of it's not. Bumps and oh bumps. my God, there's bumps, valleys, turns, curves, yeah. everything. You yeah. know, and um, you know, and I mean, even established businesses. You know, I mean, look at the marketplace right mm -hmm. now, right? Look in the stock market right mm -hmm. now. You know, who would ever thought that Amazon stock would be as low as it is, right? Yeah, yeah. And they're like, you know, I mean, what what five hundred billion dollars a year in sales? Yeah, yeah. You know, so the point I'm trying to make is that even big companies, you know, encounter periods where things get tough. Sure. You know, business is cyclical. Yeah. You know, and you have to you have to understand that. Yeah, I mean, I know people watching probably aren't starting their own supplement company, but I like to try and relay this to bodybuilding because uh -huh. a lot of people think that your bodybuilding career is also a linear, and I think yours yours kind of was. I mean, it, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but some people's bodybuilding careers don't always work out like that. They're right. you know they lose a show, they win a show, sure. they get better, they get worse. Sure. Hey, I got, I got one for you, Ronnie Coleman. I remember back in '92, 1992. I'm in the airport in Houston, and I'm waiting to fly over to Helsinki to compete in the Olympia. Yeah. Okay. I'm a top four Olympian guy at that time. Up comes Ronnie Coleman. Okay, and uh, he's in his twenties, and um, he comes up and he goes, "Lee," he goes, "Yeah, you know, I just won the Mister Universe," mm. and uh, and and I'm, I was completely natural. A few more questions before we go. How was your wife about bodybuilding when you met her? Was she okay with it? Did she had you were you already bodybuilding when you met her, or when did you meet your wife? I was already bodybuilding when I met her. Okay. Now, what's really interesting is that the first bodybuilding comp competition she saw me compete in was the nationals. Yeah. So imagine going to the nationals as your first show. Yeah. She kept nudging my my training partner, going, "Is he winning?" <laughs> is he winning? She didn't know what she was looking at. Yeah. Nowadays, I'll, I'll put it up there with any IFBB judge. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, because yeah. it's it's a bodybuilding family. Sure. You know, we've been married thirty six years. She's been around bodybuilding that whole time. She loves it. Yeah. Just like I just like I do. She's been extremely supportive. You know. But I will tell you, the flip side is that I've been supportive of her also. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I struggled a little bit with retirement, but to me, it sounds like your retirement was very well planned out and. Maybe you figured it out much more easily than I did. When you retired finally in 95, I think you said, uh, was there any issue? Where did you miss it? Did you look back? Did you want to make a comeback? No or did doubt. you just walk away and that was it? No doubt. In fact, we might have more in common than you think that way because, okay. it, you know, mentally, you know, the first year when that date for the Mr. Olympia rolled around, when that weekend rolled around, oh my God, I felt like a fish out of water. Yeah. yeah. I, I thought to myself, 
I'm supposed to be on that stage. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I was having dreams. I mean, the whole night. I'm like supposed to be on that stage. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um, and you know what? And so I think this is something that all professional athletes do. There True. comes a day when you have to step out from the lights. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, and you and uh, it helps when you have something to throw your creative energy into. Sure. So as far as the planning part goes, you know, um, you I had uh, made plans to go into the supplement business at that time. Yeah. yeah. So I was able to dive headlong into that. Yeah. And I'm the type of person that once I get into something, I really focus on that. You sure, know? sure. Yeah. Did you feel, was it enough for you though? Because like I go, I'm, I'm headfirst into my supplement company, into my podcast. Like I have a lot going on. Sure. But it doesn't feel the same. I mean, I'm, right. I don't want to make people think like I'm fine now. It's, right. been, it's been a few years. But those first couple of years. Yeah, they're tough. It just didn't feel like a good enough replacement. It, it, they're tough because the thing is that whenever you uh, are used to competing athletically, you know, there's a payoff, there's a result yes. right away. You work towards something and then there's a result right away, sure. you know, and, and you crave that competition, almost like a warrior, you know, uh, craves battle. That's right. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, you know, and I can imagine that that's what it's like, you know, when you're playing uh, football or soccer or, or you're a fighter, yeah. you know, there just comes a day when you have to stop and, and yeah, there's, there's a, a craving for that competition and you have to find a, a way to channel that create that creativity or that competitiveness, yeah. you know, yeah. sometimes, sometimes it's uh, good for an athlete to get into another competitive sport, maybe not professionally, yeah. you know, but they're playing something where they can actually compete with friends. Yeah. You know, the main thing I realize is, you know, like you said, bodybuilding is very immediate and when you do something you can kind of see it like right. whether it's putting on size or or getting shredded you can kind of see the result relatively quickly sure hey guys thanks for watching please subscribe share with your friends and like the video and if you get a chance check out the description for all the different links to all the different places you can find hostile and myself and lastly, check out Hostile.com for our new line of supplements and all of our apparel and gear. Thanks again for watching.